Welcome to episode number 42 of the Raw Food Podcast. I am your host, Laura Jane, the Rotarian, and today I am honored to welcome Russell James, the Raw Food Chef, to be with me on the show. Based in London, Russell is the UK's leading raw food chef, and he's taught at culinary academies across the US. He's known for his beautiful presentation and expertise in the gourmet raw food world. On today's episode, Russell shares tips for incorporating gourmet dishes in your own kitchen, and I think you're gonna enjoy the battle between Russell's beautiful gourmet style and my quick and dirty approach to the raw food lifestyle. So stay tuned, and Russell and I are gonna be back with you shortly. Russell, thank you so much for being here. Laura Jane, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've done an interview like this. So yeah, great stuff. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time because as we were talking about at the beginning, just before we hit record here, I'm you're gourmet, you're known for beautiful dishes and really amazing presentation. And I'm sort of like the polar opposite of that in that I'm really all about quick and dirty tips and but at the same time, you know, presentation does matter. So I really wanted to get you on the show so we could chat and you could, I could pick your brain for some quick gourmet tips. But we, before we do that, I, of course, have been following you for years, but I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about your story and how you became the Raw Chef. Absolutely. So back in my teenage years and I was working for a, uh, a burger restaurant, <laughs> which is about as far away from raw food as you can get. But, you know, I was just a teenager. I didn't know any better. And when I was working at the burger restaurant, I uh, developed acne, which, you know, could have been from no one really fully understands acne and or has got a real, you know, uh, answer to it or mm -hmm. for it. Um, so whether that was hormones or whether it was, uh, you know, eating that food every day or whether it was just being in that greasy environment every day mm -hmm. uh, or a co probably a combination of all three on some level, um, you know, I, I developed uh, acne uh, from that and spent the next, uh, I, I guess I started there when I was 17 and spent into my early 20s, you know, probably seven or eight years trying to get rid of my acne mm -hmm. and... I did that with, you know, horrible drugs like Roaccutane, as we call it, or Accutane, as it's called, mm -hmm. I think that side of the pond. And, you know, there's some, there's some horrible kind of side effects and there's lots of documented, uh, you know, I'm really unfortunate um, stuff about kids that are taking this stuff and, and going into depressions and, and all sorts. So mm -hmm. uh, I guess I got off kind of lightly. Uh, I, I don't remember. I mean, I felt like I was in depression anyway because I think, you know, being a young man, uh, you know, interested in girls and, uh, you know, th at that time you're just starting to get interested in girls, I think, and uh, or I was. And <laughs> so, you know, I it, I wanted to look good of and, course. you know, so it affected my confidence and I, I really couldn't look anyone in the face when I was talking to them because uh, I always was worried about what they would think about my skin. You know, my internal mm -hmm. voice was so loud, it would just say, you know, they're looking at your skin and, and, and I would... I, I spent many years just cowering away from any kind of personal interaction, which is kind of difficult when you're serving at a burger restaurant, you know. Yes, and let me just jump in there, at least because I had some acne quite quite a bit as well, but at least as a girl where you could slather on the makeup, whereas you didn't right. even have that luxury. No, exactly. I did know a guy actually that, that used to put on foundation uh, mm -hmm. to do that. And, um, you know, he wasn't even necessarily the kind of guy, you know, even, I mean, yes, we're, we're many years ahead now and there are guys that wear makeup and that's all good, but he wasn't even necessarily the type of guy that would do that mm -hmm. normally, I guess. He was just doing it for his acne. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I played with that and I think someone mentioned it once where I'd put a little bit of foundation on one of my, one of my spots and, mm -hmm. uh, or pimples mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it just, I just felt even worse. I thought, well, I'm just gonna, <laughs> just gonna have to go and go with it as it is. Aww. So, um, you know, I spent many years trying to, trying to do that. As I said, Roaccutane, um, antibiotics, you know, several courses of antibiotics with no knowledge that I needed to rebuild my internal flora afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, would go to the doctors and, you know, got no advice on nutrition, but at least they would say, you know, drink plenty of water. But anyone who's got bad acne will know is that, it, it's beyond that mm -hmm. you know it's beyond just it's kind of like it's frustrating say when someone's who hasn't got that you know just gets the odd pimple you know mm -hmm. maybe at a certain time in the month or you know that, that don't really they don't so get someone, it 
they don't get it. They don't really have a problem to the level of someone who has it every single day, like, mm -hmm. and it's just day to day, you know, a problem. So it's frustrating to just be told just drink more water because that's what worked for one person, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't. Or, but at least, uh, you know, they told me to give up dairy, which was a great, a, a great thing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, topical skin creams as well, you know, that would make my skin itch and red and sore. Mm -hmm. And then I saw a program on TV where they sent six members of the public to a fasting retreat in Koh Samui in Thailand. And a couple of things out of that fascinated me. So the first one was that they were talking about clearer skin. And so obviously I, my ears perked up and, mm -hmm. and I thought clearer skin, that's interesting. But what also interested me was that they all came back to the UK and had really significant life change in, in a lot of areas of their lives. There was one guy that didn't actually, he was, a, he was a DJ and his whole mission was just to come back to the UK and, and purposefully retox. <laughs> <laughs> So, but everyone else changed their life. They changed career. You know, they started losing weight uh, more than they had done even on the retreat. And that was really fascinating to me. So I found the retreat that they went to and I ended up going there two years later. Mm -hmm. You know, I saved up and managed to find my way there. And by this time, you know, I'd still been doing the, 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 the medical treatment. And I'd also had some, some skin peels as well, glycolic skin peels, which, um, you know, I think can be fairly gentle on a, on a, they, they measure it in percentage of acid that they put on your face. It's a fruit acid. And, and, but I had quite a severe regimen of that. So again, it kind of made my skin red. Mm -hmm. But when I went on the retreat, I, I pretty much cleared up my skin in seven days by doing this fast. And I found out about raw food whilst I was there. So obviously mm -hmm. I was excited. You know, I was excited about the, my skin. I'd lost a lot of weight when I didn't really need to, which I wasn't so excited about. But mm -hmm. that was you know, fine compared to, you know, I was clearing up my skin. Mm -hmm. I was working for a supermarket by this time as well. So I kind of, I came back to the UK and changed some things and started getting into raw food and, and, and came up against the usual uh, stuff around raw food about, you know, not, um, you know, just being a little bit strange, you know, I think mm -hmm. to everyone. And, you know, I'd take in some raw burgers and tomato sauce and, you know, salads and stuff. And I was kind of middle management at the supermarket by that time. So my fellow managers were all, all a bunch of uh, what we would call in the UK lads, you know, real kind of laddish, uh, you know, smoking, drinking, mm -hmm. girls, all that kind of stuff. And so when I would drink, you know, herbal tea and eat a salad, they didn't <laughs> see that to be very manly. No. So, yeah, so I ended up eating out outside of the, the the staff canteen in the end you know mm -hmm. i would just get in my car and go down to the to the to the um to the water like the, the little bay that we had close to that store that i worked in um which you know made it kind of worse actually because people were already asking me about you know was i eating enough was i getting all the nutrition i needed mm -hmm. which is kind of funny right because i'm eating you know raw food salads <laughs> good food and they're eating you know pizza and cans of fizzy drink and they're worried about you of course yeah it's weird it really <laughs> struck me as very strange um but they came around you know they saw it wasn't a fad and um you know quietly some of them there was one guy actually complimented me on my skin <laughs> which mm. was you know that's not something men generally do mm. uh, in in that environment at least and so i think you know, I just got a little bit of respect, I think, after that, that people could see that I was going to stick at it. I was doing it for a reason. I was getting results. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm fortunate enough now that it's my career. So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really get that stuff anymore because I guess I've I've got some kind of proof in some way that what I'm doing is, is helping people or it's, it's, yeah, it's my career, I guess. It's mm -hmm. not just me doing stuff, not just eating weird stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I got into it. Wow. And so that sort of fast forward to today what are you doing in the raw food world today well so yeah so I guess that was me getting into eating raw food and, and so I eventually you know I started a blog just because that was that's what everyone else was doing but you know back then it was just an online diary you know that's what it you know some people might even now might not know that that is blog is short for weblog so mm -hmm. it's you know it's a an online log of what you did like an online journal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh but now obviously business owners we use it to and certainly in the raw food world we use that to deliver you know great recipes and content and stuff so yeah. but you know back in the day i was just blogging about what happened to me that day and all that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. i was actually transitioning to be a driving instructor by that time because it was the family business but mm -hmm. 
I kind of I started my blog with the intention of charting my path to becoming a raw food chef, um, and I had no idea. It's gone way beyond my wildest dreams of, of where I would ever get to. Um, and, and really, I just started putting up recipes and, and did a few ebooks and started doing live classes and you know doing some catering stuff and um, traveling. You know, to work in New York for a couple of months with Matthew Matthew Kenny when he had his his place, the plant in mm. in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, which is the thing he did after a little break after he left Pure Food and Wine, um, and now you know he's in he's in L.A. and Miami, mm-hmm. um, and so I did that, and then yeah, managed to I was still doing the driving, so I kind of was treading that treading both worlds, uh, and then I ended up working with Matthew again in Oklahoma City at 105 degrees I was I was doing the I wrote and taught the the level one chef training which Mm -hmm. was a four-week chef training Mm -hmm. and by that time I had DVDs and was just starting to do the online versions of the of the home study courses Mm -hmm. so so yeah so now as you said in the introduction I'm just here in uh, in London we're focusing mainly on the online classes so we've got the Raw Chef Academy Mm -hmm. and you know we teach people we get everyone from you know, people that have had some kind of health cri- health crisis, and and they want to, you know, eat eat raw food day to day, like a high level of raw food, day to day, and then we've got you know people that are into the the more gourmet side of it, which mm-hmm. you know is these are generally people you know that just love to love to make food. They're foodies. They love to eat food. They love things to look nice. Um, you know, again, they might not be all raw necessarily. In fact, yeah, I think it's. You know, I'm attracting a real, a really balanced group of people that mm-hmm. um, are just interested in this, and I think it's become a lot more mainstream. And, and as it does, so it gets more, you know, it gets more available and um, gets more doable. Definitely. So, on the subject of the idea of raw gourmet, sort of as opposed to basic everyday stuff, I'd love to have a little chat just about: is there Okay, so let me take a step back. So we know I'm not overly gourmet. I'm not really into beautiful dishes. I want to just make the food, eat it, and have it taste delicious. But I have this idea that being a bit more gourmet is a little bit scary or a little bit overwhelming. So I'm interested to know if you think there is a huge distinction between everyday food and gourmet, or is it just really about, you know, plating and garnishing or what's the difference? Like what is gourmet and does it have to be complicated? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's a different, you know, gourmet is different to everyone. So, you know, we're all kind of, we're, we're different eaters, aren't we? And, uh, you know, some of us are very functional eaters. Uh, you know, my friend Karen Nola has got a great book on this, Eating for Your Personality Type. Mm. And some people see food just as, like, there's people that go so far down the functional route that if you could just give them a tablet for, to, for nutrition, mm-hmm. <laughs> they would do that rather mm-hmm. than eat. And to someone like me and probably you, because, you know, even though you're, you know, you you like to make things quick and easy, I can tell from, you know, having seen the stuff on your site, you might like like to make things look really nice. And, you know, you're into flavors, obviously, and colors and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So people like like us and, uh, you know, if you're listening that you really just enjoy making food look nice and you you couldn't imagine not ever eating um, from a taste perspective, Mm -hmm. then... That's the type of person I think that can kind of get your head around going the more gourmet route. Um, but, you know, I think that's 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 the type of person that it's really for, you know, dinner parties mm-hmm. and doing something special for yourself and your, you know, maybe your family or your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, I always say it's not like when we, as raw foodists, we're not, I say this to beginners a lot, that, you know, we're not, it's not like we're using our dehydrators like ovens and we're cooking up pizzas in there every night, you know, <laughs> because it is, it's, you know, let's be honest, it's a multi-step thing mm-hmm. and there's some work to do. And I think, you know, there, there's a kind of another, another kind of little point in there that, you know, you, you can't really buy that type of food yet. Mm-hmm. And so if you're making uh, that type of food, you, it, it's all about making it yourself. And whether it's gourmet or easy, 
if you want to eat raw food, you, you're pretty much making it all yourself mm-hmm. with, you know, unless you're living next to a restaurant or you've got delivery services. Well, like we've got a delivery, raw delivery service here in London called the Raw Fairies. So if I want a few days off, I can just, <laughs> you know, order that. But, you know, there's a, there's a price with that. But I think, yeah, if, it doesn't have to be scary to do the raw mm-hmm. gourmet thing, but it, it because you're not doing it all the time. Yeah, and I think for me, because I was thinking about just preparing for our chat, that I I think about it sort of in two different ways. Gourmet, I think one, as you said, it's making something that takes a lot of steps, like a raw pizza with dehydrating and sauces and all of that kind of stuff. But then for me, I tend to use ingredient wise, very small sort of basket of ingredients so I don't tend to use a ton of fresh herbs or you know Thai coconuts or mangoes or those kind of sort of gourmet ingredients and I think because so that to me is another sort of layer because I know you tend to use a beautiful selection of ingredients and I think you could still be quick and easy about stuff but it might be just even um you know, opening up the ingredients or the food that you bring into your house that makes something gourmet. Do you Mm. know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, some of those ingredients, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I wouldn't, fresh herbs and mangoes, (laughs) I wouldn't consider to be gourmet. (laughs) I would. (laughs) Right. So exactly. And that's, you know, neither of us are right or wrong. It's just, uh, you know, how we feel about those ingredients. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I think young coconuts, everyone could kind of agree. Well, I don't know. It depends where you're at. (laughs) If you're in Hawaii and you're having... you know, if someone's cracking them open for you all the time, then, you know, that's that's just a day-to-day and thing. And it could so. be just about the accessibility too. Like for me, right. I live in Canada in quite a remote area. Like it's, we've got a few feet of snow on the ground and there's not a lot of like nice fresh produce in the winter. So I think mm. that it could be that, as you say, gourmet is different for everybody depending on where they're at and, you know, exactly. just like you said. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the location is definitely a thing. Um yeah, and in London, you know, I just actually just went out and got some fresh, some fresh coriander cilantro, mm-hmm. um, because I want to I want to do a, a, a move some metals that I've been uh, told that I've got in my in my body. So, mm. um, yeah, for me, going out and getting organic cilantro uh, is is just very easy. It's five it's a five minute trip down the road, you mm-hmm, know. But mm-hmm. that's I'm in London, so in other parts of the UK, even I might see organic. Uh, organic her- fresh herbs as a barrier you know i think we can either see these as barriers um or we can see them as well i guess that's you know i that's one one of the main questions i get is what do i you know what do i swap in a recipe if i haven't got this mm-hmm. if i can't get this thing and, and oftentimes <laughs> it's not a really key ingredient you know oftentimes i don't know maybe 30 percent of my answer is just leave it out <laughs> you know yes i agree too so, one of my main answers to that is sometimes like well if you don't have any of these ingredients, just maybe make a different recipe. Because <laughs> sometimes right. when people go too crazy with substitutions, then it gets a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and even you know, we we talked about the, the the young coconut thing. Actually, when I first started out as a raw chef, I was living in the south of uh, England, and I could not get young coconuts mm-hmm. for love nor money, as mm-hmm. they say. So I think I had to come up to London to buy them, and even then, it was very seasonal. Um, they're more available now though, it seems, but I avoided using young coconuts, even though, you know, a lot of the recipes that I was seeing had them in, um, you know, I know when Mm -hmm. I worked with Matthew in New York, he, they had huge deliveries of young coconuts and he's a real fan of the young coconut, but again, he's doing, you've got to make this distinction. I think, you know, he's doing gourmet food, not just on a level that is gourmet for friends that he's like, you know, making the most gourmet food you can possibly do to push Mm -hmm. the boundaries to serve Mm -hmm. at a restaurant. So I think, uh, you know, all those recipes are wonderful to look at and to be inspired and created, um, inspire your creativity. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, getting a really complicated raw food recipe book that's really gourmet and thinking that, you know, you're going to do all those recipes at home. And if you can't do one, if you haven't got the ingredients, then raw food's going to be difficult. And that's that's just not the case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think it definitely depends just where you're at. If you've never made any raw recipe before it's good to start with something easy and get Mm -hmm. that that quick success so totally I did want to ask you in terms of let's pretend I was having a a couple over for dinner 
to my house and I wanted to have something that looked gourmet and tasted gourmet but was quite easy. So I know you have your weekday raw course which kind of focuses more on the the basics and then you do have a lot of you know gourmet but is there sort of a nice example or of a recipe or meal that would be straddling the two that isn't too complicated but it still really has a huge impact in terms of a dinner? Yeah well now you're asking so I think what springs to mind when you say that is if I look at the way I eat uh, you know day to day and, and I as we were talking about before we started the interview you know I if I'm doing a live class or if I'm doing recipe testing, then I've often got lots of really cool little bits and pieces sitting around. So mm-hmm. it's very easy for me to make something that actually you would probably consider it gourmet. <laughs> not just you, there would be a lot of people that would look at, uh, and in fact, I've had these comments on Instagram before when I've, <laughs> when I've posted something and said, oh, you know, I'm just eating leftovers. And they're like, that's the most extravagant selection of leftovers <laughs> I've ever seen. And so that's just kind of the way it is a little bit for me. But Mm -hmm. um, it's not always like that. You know, sometimes if there's a long break in recipe testing, if I'm doing a lot of computer work or I'm away um, and no classes, then I'm in the same boat as everyone else. So, Mm -hmm. you know, with the weekday raw stuff, we're developing that all the time. And and my tendency with that, you know, is I'm even thinking maybe we should go even simpler on that because there is a balance, isn't there, with... I think you, uh, you can take a, a quite a simple recipe and display it uh, and plate it in a way that make it look makes it look gourmet. Mm-hmm. And so my my awareness is, you know, I want to make this look nice, but I don't want to make it look unattainable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, if you see a picture of a recipe and it's plated in a certain way, even though it might be quite simple, it seems unattainable. So, um, you know, kind of what springs to mind is we do... Um, you know, raw cheeses are a real, you know, I love raw cheeses. There's a whole a whole world of um, raw tree nut cheeses, you know, plant-based cheeses, obviously, mm-hmm. no dairy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's actually a very simple thing to do, to just culture some, you know, a couple of cups of macadamias overnight, you know, in a warm place, mm-hmm. flavor up with a little bit of, you know, lemon juice, salt and nutritional yeast and... Uh, and then you've got it in the fridge as a base and you can add some fresh herbs to that or you can add, you know, even dried spices and, you know, p- bits of pepper and all sorts. There's so much you can do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, that's that's quite an easy thing. I've usually got cheese kind of around. But if if um, some people might look at that and think oh, it's, it's a little bit gourmet, I mean, you know, even someone who doesn't know what nutritional yeast is, if they're starting out, mm-hmm. it's, it feels like a barrier. And even just so, the, the aspect of soaking and waiting, you know, as opposed right. to just using your cheddar cheese that you can pick up at the grocery store. But exactly. I think what you said is so key. And that's something I find is if you have these things, like if you're just in the habit of always keeping cheese in your fridge, raw cheese and making it and just keeping that going, then it does make using that cheese easier it's it's all about those habits and actually having stuff in your fridge so that when you need to have dinner you already have some resources in your fridge that are ready to go yeah it's that old thing isn't it whether it's raw food or not if you know if you're trying to change the way you eat and trying to be healthier which usually means making food yourself mm-hmm. um if 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 you're look, staring into the fridge, which is an experience I think most people have had, and mm-hmm. you, you desperately want to eat something healthy, but you just can't keep, seem to pull it together, you know, it's already too late by that point. Um, unless you've unless you've got something, just like you know, even some like a really simple meal for me is just sauerkraut. Um, which Did I you make, make this? Sorry, <laughs> that's yeah, not yeah. that simple. <laughs> well, it does. It seems so simple to me, you know. Um, and you know just some sauerkraut with uh you know mixed in with some avocado mm, that would be good um and then you know maybe some spices it depends if you make your sauerkraut with you know some cumin seeds in there and whatnot and you can make like a curried sauerkraut with you know maybe put some spice in there maybe a bit of nutritional yeast in you know with, with the um with the avocado and some apple cider vinegar and mm. yeah you can make a really a really nice meal just out of that that's that seems simple to me that's funny that yeah that, that sauerkraut doesn't seem simple to you but because it I think for me when I think of really simple it's like mm. you're starting from scratch right now so you haven't but although I'm kind of um 
going against what I just said because it would be awesome right. if we all had sauerkraut and cheese and nut pate and stuff in our fridge already. But if we don't, because as we all know, everybody's busy with life and kids and all that stuff. I think for me, I tend to think of simple as something that has required no prep. And I'm so, and we could have a duel about this. I don't know where you stand on the right. soaking issue. But sometimes I know people even get overwhelmed just with the idea of soaking the nuts beforehand. So a lot of times in my recipes, I will say you don't need to soak. You could just like make this from scratch right now and eat it in five minutes and be done. So I think, yeah. yes, I don't know. <laughs> yeah <I think> so, <laughs> that's I why think... i wanted to talk to you because i love the yeah. the differences yeah definitely it's um there's there's so many aspects of this isn't there so i think you're definitely you know for me and i was just saying this in my class at the weekend i think you know with the even 10 years in you know i'm only just starting to realize now that i think for me my my success eating raw is greatly improved by by soaking nuts mm-hmm. so but I still think you're serving people very well by by making it so easy for them that you're saying if you're really like it would be better for you to eat unsoaked nuts than it would be to go and eat a processed meal. Exactly. Right? And what I do find too with people, I like to start them where they're at. You know, if they're eating McDonald's every day and they're mm. trying to get started, then doing that kind of thing is good. But then they might come to me and say, well, I've... I've been eating this way and, you know, but sometimes nuts make me feel funny. And then I'll say, well, maybe you could consider soaking them. And right. it's sort of almost like a ladder of um, of steps and overwhelm. But I mm-hmm. think it also it just depends on where someone is at. If they're like retired and able to just go full swing into it at, you know, with a lot of time and finances to, to back them up, I think that that. It, it's, everybody's just got to mm. play around and see what works for them but okay so back to yeah. my to my dinner party with my friends mm-hmm. i've we've got the cheese and then i derailed you <laughs> right yeah so i think um yeah so, so it was about a dish wasn't it that treads the line between both you know quick and simple and gourmet and i do think yes. it's about how you plate it so you know, if you've got your cheese, we in in weekday raw, we've got this kind of this ravioli dish, which is a kind of a little bit of a classic raw food dish, which is you know, beetroots uh, or beet sliced thin on a mandolin, you know, with with the cheese in the middle, two mm. bits of you know square or round beetroot, mm-hmm. um, and then you can plate that up nicely. And if you've got some nice little greens, you can pop them on top there, and then you can serve that maybe with a, a salad on the side. So that would be a kind of more gourmet presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're probably thinking, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. No, that was doable. <laughs> good job. Good job. Okay, good. Um, but, you know, to make that simpler, you could, <clears throat> or even look simpler. It's funny because what I'm about to say will make it look simpler and feel simpler, but there's actually not any less prep involved because, you know, I'm talking about like you could grate the beet and, um, you know, do a little bit of oil and vinegar on there and a little bit of salt. Um, and just have it, you know, this, this kind of idea, you know, I love Buddha bowls, you know, Mm. and Buddha bowls that aren't even necessarily Asian themed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just love eating from, I I keep meaning to buy myself a really nice, you know, deep wooden bowl that I really just love eating. I mean, the eating out of, so the idea of a Buddha bowl is, you know, it's, it's gratitude and it's gratitude for the food that you eat. And so you can have lots of little bit, lots of different things in there. You can have your little, you know, like I said, your grated beetroot and then your, you know, your salad, and then your um, the cheese that I was talking about, you know, and, and that just looks and feels like it's easier than making little raviolis. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, plating the ravioli does have a uh, an extra uh, element to it. So, But then that's yeah. what would take it to be more exciting right. for, especially people who are maybe new to raw, that it, it would, the ravioli that you explained seems like a very perfect example in that it is almost as simple as the salad. If you have the cheese, it's just a, tiny bit more effort with the plating and I think that that because I was also thinking about myself and what I would do in that case but I think it really is just taking your basic stuff and plating it or garnishing I think is huge as well yeah absolutely and having those those um, garnishes available you know so mm-hmm. I find that when I'm garnishing if I if I do if I do big to small and I'll explain that in a second, but if I do big to small and then 
have like the two or three elements for garnish. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, if I'm garnishing, let's take a classic example, a uh, classic raw food dish like a lasagna, you know, mm -hmm. which is, um, you know, a, a fairly gourmet thing by anyone's standards. It's funny that people talk to me about, you know, uh, raw lasagna and how much that takes, how long that takes to make. But if, if you've ever made a cooked lasagna, that is quite an operation. That's way longer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, just garnishing the top of a lasagna and, you know, when you've put your, so for anyone who doesn't know you, you put your three strips of zucchini or courgette on top of the lasagna, um, you know, you, you've laid it up with a little bit of the cheese, tomato sauce and pesto and maybe some fresh tomatoes and maybe some wilted spinach in there. But you've done a few layers. You've put the final kind of top on it, which is your, your zucchini uh, pieces. And then, you know, what do you put on top of that? Because it looks kind of bare. So... If, I, if I've got like two or three different things, I'll start with the biggest one, which is going to be, you know, if I can get a big beef steak tomato mm -hmm. uh, and put that on top and maybe cut it halfway down and arrange that in a nice way. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest element. And then the next next smallest element is going to be some, maybe some basil leaves. Mm -hmm. So I put those on top. And then if I want then still smaller, um, you know, then I can go with some, I could actually do some, um, some black pepper, I guess, which is the smallest you're going to go just grating over some black pepper mm -hmm. or some dried Italian herbs, which technically are a little bit bigger than the black pepper pieces. <laughs> so I could do the dried, the dried Italian herbs and then the smallest, which is the, the pepper pieces. So, um, yeah, fairly, st I mean, a tomato, some basil leaves, you know, some dried Italian herbs and some black pepper, not crazy ingredients, but just having those four things available, mm -hmm. uh, and building up big to small, uh, you'll, you'll find that it just, it really finishes that dish off really nicely. I love that example. It's really easy to envision that. And I do find, cause I've been trying to improve my food photography over the past few years, cause I find I know you're kind of a perfectionist type and I, I, even my photos, especially in the old days used to just be like, here's the slop, who cares? <laughs> but now I am doing more garnishing in photography because I find the camera just like, it finds it easier to kind of focus on something like you kind of suggested with sliced basil and stuff like that. But, but I don't really garnish my food unless I'm taking photos. So I, I'm going to try to do that more in in actual real life but it right. is all about having some the stuff to garnish in your house and for me I don't know if you do herbs in your house but I I always have just one little plant in my whole house which is just a little basil plant in my kitchen and that works really well for a lot of the green garnish right yeah and the basil is great actually because you've got different sizes of leaves I mean you can get the real young leaves the little sprigs that come out right at the right at the tip of the stalk and they're, they're mm. great for just popping on their hole or you know learning a few basic knife skills and, and getting your large basil leaves and rolling them up like into a cigar and, and doing a nice fine chiffonade on there which um, you know is just it's just a straight cut mm -hmm. um, once it's been rolled up so yeah, that's that's a great thing to do, and I don't even always have, you know, basil around. Uh, but then, I guess you know, I'm always thinking about, um, yeah, I'm always thinking about photography, and you know, with with Instagram and Facebook, uh, every every meal's an opportunity to you know <laughs> create something that I can post. Um, but even you know, on the salad I had just for lunch, uh, just just a while ago, I. Um, it, you know, I, I almost left it in the bowl I made it in, actually. So I do, I do do that. I do, I couldn't quite bring myself to do it, so I did have to put it in a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I just sprinkled. I've got there's these amazing spirulina flakes that are available here in the UK. I'm not sure if you've got them over there yet, but they they're called gourmet spirulina, mm -hmm. and um, they're flakes and they're crispy and they're raw. I don't know how they do it. They must dry it out to and do and it's, it's just spirulina, and mm -hmm. it's really sweet and it's in flakes and um, it makes a great little garnish. That sounds delicious. I haven't seen those. I'll have to check those out. Mm. So we're talking gourmet. I'm trying to use up my, my last remaining time. Oh, I do know that some people will want to hear us talk about this, about equipment yeah. and just even equipment in general. If somebody just has one very cheap junky blender and that's the only equipment they have what would you suggest being their next purchase if they're i don't know 
Go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would kind of go back to basics. No matter what stage anyone is, anyone is at, I'm always like, have you got the foundations, which is a really good chopping board and a great knife? Mm-hmm. And I think I say that because that's where you're going to spend most of your time. Mm-hmm. And it makes such a difference in the kitchen if you have got just somewhere that you really just enjoy working. And so it, it almost, you know, even if you've got like a really small kitchen um, or a kitchen, you know, you'd love to renovate and you don't like it and, and all that stuff. Or mm-hmm. if you've got a great kitchen, if you buy yourself a really, a really nice, you know, fairly large chopping board mm-hmm. um, that you enjoy working on, then it, yeah, it transforms things. It transforms your experience. So yeah, I've got a nice, um, dark wood uh chopping board mm-hmm. um you know bamboo is great in terms of sustainability and that kind of thing so you you know if that's important to you you'd want to look into that mm-hmm. um you know i i uh, intend to have my my chopping board for forever so uh you know i'm going to make good use of it and um so i feel good about the you know the board that i got i like to keep it oiled up um mm-hmm. so you know and keep too much water off of it so it doesn't crack um, and then a knife, you know, a really nice sharp knife and some kind of sharpening steel, um, you know, like a, a steel rod. Um, I've actually got just a, a diamond sharpener, um, which, you know, is fairly, it's not that expensive in, in culinary shops and online mm-hmm. um, to keep my knife honed and sharp. And, you know, knives, knives are really just a personal thing. You know, mm-hmm. it really comes down to... Um, how it feels, whether you, you know, some people like a, a heavy knife, some people like a really nice light knife, and then there's a balance between the two. Some people like a heavy blade or a heavy handle or the other way around. And so there really is no perfect knife. And, and a lot of chefs actually don't have a huge selection of knives. They they have, you know, a couple of knives that they use all the time, really. Even mm-hmm. if, I think, you know, chefs with a lot of knives I've got a few knives, but it's really, it's almost like a hobby to collect them. It's not like a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's using a new knife and making it yours is, is, is a nice thing to do uh, if, you're, if you're into that and if you're chefy. But if it's really just <laughs> functional, um, you know, a, about an eight, six to eight inch chef knife would be great, you know, is, is what most people use. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's lots of makes out there, you know, Wusthof, which is a German make, um, Henkels, which is another German make, uh, Mac, which I think is an American make, but in a Japanese style. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Japanese blades that are um, forged and, you know, they've got the little dimples in, not the dimples that are put in there on purpose to make the blade lighter or to make the stuff, you know, slip off the knife when you cut it. Mm-hmm. But the, the dimples that come from, you know, putting it in the in the fire and then bringing it out and, and hammering it. Um, and so the Japanese, you know, they come from a, a tradition of making samurai swords. So they know how to make a, you know, they, when, they, when samurai swords are no more, those skills got passed down to their knife makers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can, if you're into the history of that kind of stuff, you can really, you know, look to see where your knife's been made and look into the history of it. And it can be a really sacred thing. Um, but yeah, you're just... so chefy. I know, I know. <laughs> I totally. love it. I love it because my all the time that you're talking about this, I'm thinking about my cutting board and my junky. Like I have like thirty terrible knives and no one good knife. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so common. I think, isn't it? Yeah, thirty horrible knives and not one good one. Yes. My girlfriend actually, Natasha, she has, uh, she has, she all she's got in her in her flat, and I keep. Meaning to, I mean, it's kind of a horrible Christmas present, but I'll have to just buy one at some point that's not Christmas or birthday. Um, but to buy her a nice a chopping board because she's just got one of those horrible glass chopping boards, and mm-hmm. it just it just makes my teeth itch every mm-hmm. time I cut something on it. And yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's not a nice experience in the kitchen if you're not set out with those basics. Mm-hmm. But I really liked the way you took my question, which was what would be the next equipment, and I was sort of expecting you to say maybe you know a food processor or a better blender. But I actually really love the way you answered that question in that. I think it's really true if you actually have something that you really love, like say a beautiful cutting board or something that feels a bit luxurious or exciting to use. Mm. I actually really like that idea because I think you are really doing the chopping and that kind of thing more than anything else. And I I actually really like that idea. And um, just a quick question about cutting boards. I know a lot of people struggle with this. So 
If you've just made a big salad and used your cutting board, what is the proper way to just clean it? Like what would just a quick and dirty explanation of what you do next? Like, do you oil it every time or could you just share a little bit about that? Yeah, no, you shouldn't. If it's a good, uh, um, yeah, you shouldn't need to oil it every time. Um, I just use, you know, a sponge with, I've got some kind of, um, I don't want to make it, but it's like a natural orange uh, essential oil kind of cleaner. It's like an antibacterial, you know, naturally based thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll just spray that, wipe it off a few times. Uh, and I actually, you know, I've got cats walking around my house. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, they're, you know, who knows what they're walking <laughs> over when I'm not here. But mm-hmm. uh, so I will I'll clean it before I start working as well, mm-hmm. like pretty mm-hmm. thoroughly. Uh, but the more thoroughly you clean it, you know, you're going to you start to wipe off that oil. But you're, the, as you oil it, I mean, I maybe oil mine once a week, I think at the moment. Okay. Um, but if you notice it getting lighter in color, um, you can just oil it. I used to oil it up with, I tried coconut oil, but um, that's fine. But coconut oil doesn't really seep into the wood like other oils do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, some kind of linseed oil or something that's food, obviously food grade. Mm-hmm. Um, any of the, the, the good kind of um, oils that are specifically for, you know, food grade surfaces are, are great. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I just um, uh, pour a little bit onto the center of the board you know, work it around the board with a cloth, um, maybe leave it for a while. And depending on how much it needs oiling, uh, you know, I, it will, I'll come back to it and maybe just wipe off the, a little bit of excess. Or if it really needed oiling, then it won't be any excess. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So as we round off towards the end of this call, do you think there's anything that I should have asked you that I shouldn't in terms of raw gourmet at home or any final superstar tip that would turn the home chef into a Russell James <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that's everybody's um, <laughs> everybody's goal but, oh. or, or whether it should be <laughs> but, um, so yeah if you I, I guess if you want to be uh, you know a little bit more gourmet in the kitchen you've probably already tried that and you've probably um, already tried it to some extent at least now I think if it, if it comes down to a uh, you know, a question of confidence. It is, you know, a, a, a little bit about what we've talked about in terms of just, you know, practicing a little bit of plating, plating in a different way. Um, I've actually got a um, a course coming up that we're going to produce in the next few months called Raw Food Styling, which mm. is, you know, going to be a raw food styling uh, course that will show you how to plate and how to take pictures for, you know, social media and all that stuff. Cool. Um, and so I would start with something like that, you know, start with, 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 with learning how to plate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and set yourself up with a, a you know with a bit of time as well so because mm. you're you're now out of the realms of functional eating for sure in terms of if you're if you're looking to do the gourmet stuff um give yourself enough time um to yeah to do everything you need to do to and then just enjoy that process you know give yourself time to to soak soak the nuts and um do all the stages you know if you want to try if you want to make it like a pizza um you know, you can get that. I've got plenty of recipes on my on my site that are that are free. You can try out and and yeah, just follow the recipe, try that stuff out, and um, and, and take it from there. You know, I think it's it's yeah, it's a whole a whole world out there that you can really get into without feeling like you're spending hours in the kitchen. It mm-hmm. can just be yeah, it's your art, and if it's your art and it's your passion, um, if you've got that that feed I want to feed people gene mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that that chefs tend to have like I really want to feed people and feed them good food mm-hmm. um you know then you can do that before you invite you know people over to to have a dinner party and I it's funny how many people you know there's I don't know if you have it over there but we've got a show called come dine with me here mm-hmm. and uh it's they take like four members of the public to to uh, they all have to go around to each other's houses on consecutive nights of the week and do a dinner party for each other. Mm. And it always surprises me the amount, and they score each other and they win like a thousand pounds at the end of the week. Uh, and it's always so funny because they have a really sarcastic uh, voiceover, you know, of, uh, they film them make, doing their dinner party. And um, it's kind of funny, but <laughs> it always surprises me pe- the people on there that are making something for the first time at their dinner party you know i mean talk about Mm. a way to really stretch yourself out yes so yeah if you don't if you want to if you want to make things enjoy i think that's got to be the key isn't it you know even when i'm doing classes and stuff and even when i'm doing events you know if i if i i'm always aware that i need i want to prep really ahead of time and make things 
enjoyable for myself because if if I feel like at any stage I'm getting behind that is when the kind of the anxiety starts to set in mm-hmm. <laughs> and you'll probably have that I mean you, you might even have that even if you're fully prepped but at least you'll you'll pull it off <laughs> you know yes definitely and just on a personal note I would love to hear you just say like what is your favorite part of everything that you do is it making the food or teaching or what's one of your favorite things of what you do well one of my highest my highest um values or my highest the, the things that I'm most passionate about is creation so I just I just love creation and that so that can be you know everything from creating a new recipe um to photographing it which I think is currently my favorite of that creation process mm. photographing and, and then putting that up online and getting feedback and um th- there's a it's really a it is a it's kind of a journey of you know idea to that that idea really helping someone do mm-hmm. something so whether that's helping them to you know have a meal that was healthy that day that they wouldn't otherwise have had or whether it sparked some creativity in someone when they see it on my website um, or whether it's you know that they've made it for someone else and that someone else who is not normally into raw food or healthy eating then that sparks something in them that they think actually I could eat healthier you know I don't Mm -hmm. want to be quote a raw foodist but I think I could do this you know Mm -hmm. there's the thought that you know, an idea or something I've created in my kitchen can go through that process of being created, photographed, put out in public, shared, you know, eaten, and then the ripples of that continue on that, that, to, to a places that I'll never know. You know, I never know how it, it's that kind of chaos effect, isn't it? The idea mm-hmm. that when a butterfly flaps its wings in Hawaii, then it, it can cause a, a storm in New York, you know, just mm-hmm. by ever decreasing or ever increasing circles. So, yeah, that, that that creative process is really is really my the reason I do it. Well, it absolutely shows through in in what you're doing. So, I've absolutely loved everything about this conversation, actually. And if our listeners want to find out more about you, Russell James, the Raw Chef, tell us just a little bit about where they can find you and any upcoming exciting books or projects that are coming up in your world. Hmm. So yeah, thanks for having me on. First of all, I really enjoyed it, and uh, really enjoy connecting with you and your your listeners. And so, if if uh, if you're listening to this and you'd like to get some free recipes, you can head over to my site at therawchef.com, and uh, just anywhere on that on the on that website up in the top, there's a there's a sign up for my ten most popular free recipes. So I'd love to just send that to you. If you pop your email address in there, we'll send you that ebook, and um, you'll be signed up for. Uh, you know, regular recipe updates and videos and all that good stuff that you can obviously un- unsubscribe at any time if you if you wanted to. But yeah, my hope is that I'm going to deliver you lots of goodies that you'll stay around. So I'd, yeah, I'd love for you to do that. And then, you know, if you're on that list, you'll hear about all the stuff we're up to, whether it's uh, a live class uh, here in London or, um, you know, I, I'm tempted to venture out. Uh, maybe not even this year, but, uh, you know, I'll be coming back to the US, maybe Canada and Australia to do some classes. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot to get me out of my my little London um, <laughs> haven because mm-hmm. I've got everything set up, you know. Um, so, yeah, so you'll hear about that. You, there's a few things on the horizon. A book has been on the horizon for so long now. It's the, I feel like I'm the, uh, the the unpublished author with the most amount of book uh contract offerings um, but, it, but for, for whatever reason it just hasn't been right so mm-hmm. but that it, that is going to I am creating the book this year and it on, in some format I'll, I'll put a stake in the ground it will be out mm-hmm. um, at some point next year probably spring summer next year mm-hmm. whether I whether I self-publish that or whether I go with a publisher mm-hmm. um, that is definitely coming up because you know creating a book really is is an exciting thing for me, despite the fact I haven't uh, done it yet. <laughs> but you have done tons of ebooks, and you're create. You are yeah. amazingly epic with your high production value creation. So you're creating. So I think it's all unfolding as it should. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm suffering a little bit from from that. Yeah, perfectionist syndrome. And um, uh, uh, publishing with an author would be the first thing that I've really. Uh, 
let's go that is not mine it's control yes yeah control exactly mm -hmm. so i want to make sure it is really beautiful mm -hmm. um, but at the same time i don't want to let that stop me but yeah it's i feel like i'm at a really good place now with my work and what i'm eating and you know health and all that stuff and it feels like a good time to to write a book well and maybe what you need to do is take a page from my like what's my favorite quote oh my gosh i'm coming up a blank but about my anti-perfectionism and my like it's good enough. So right. I, so if I will incorporate more gourmet, maybe you can let loose a little and and become yeah. a little sloppier. Yeah, maybe. But my <laughs> when you said it's good enough, uh, I immediately thought of a quote that I heard, which was, good enough rarely is. <laughs> oh, no. That's not the quote I was thinking of. <laughs> Obviously. And that's a horrible thing to say in return to your quote, but we're all doing things differently. But, but and yeah. I think that that is what... I think I also just maybe want to end too with this piece is I know that you're doing amazing things and there's a huge raw community out there and there's even if you're listening to this and feeling like you wish you could create a you know have a raw food business or a raw blog that everybody has their own unique voice and their unique twist and there's room for all of us and I think you know when Russell is doing good things spreading out the world the word all it does is like elevate everybody in this world and make the whole world a you know a healthier place to be so I think if you're listening to this as you can see from Russell and myself everybody has a unique twist and I know you do too so there's room for all of us and everybody's voice and I think that that's what is so amazing about all of this stuff so I think Russell I should let you get on with your day I've absolutely loved this episode and thank you so much any last words no, yeah, just thank you. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you um, yeah, uh, over at therawchef.com and sign up for those recipes. And I'd love to talk to, to all you guys further. And uh, yeah, thanks. for. You're, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right what you say about, um, you know, everyone's got their own unique voice. I think it's, uh, it's definitely something when, when you start to eat healthier and you start to eat raw and, you know, the, the, it seems like I think it's the energy that's created with the food that the raw food bunch are a, a very entrepreneurial and passionate lot. You know, when I first started out, there was very few uh, people kind of blogging and doing all that stuff. And there's so many people out there now doing really wonderful mm -hmm. things. So, yeah, the more the more the merrier, definitely. And uh, there's there's absolutely space for for more because you know we're we're um, we're taking on all of the all of the bad kind of food habits and food producers and all that stuff in the world so we need yeah we need numbers <laughs> well thank you so much russell and um i'm sure we'll be talking again soon you have been listening to the raw food podcast with your host the raw Tarian. be sure to visit me at therawtarian.com where you can browse over 100 of my absolute favorite simple satisfying raw vegan recipes that you'll find pretty quick to make and with just a few ingredients and that taste amazing while you're there be sure to sign up for my newsletter and once you've signed up for that you'll automatically get a pdf copy of 11 of my most favorite most satisfying most delicious recipes including raw vegan alfredo sauce raw brownies and a whole host of other delicious recipes that you can make at home that are raw and taste amazing thank you so much for joining me and i hope to hear from you very soon and until next time enjoy your raw adventure